David, how he was called, because there's some, some stuff for us to learn. And I, I would hope, my prayer is that, that there's something that we can go away today that will actually encourage us in life in general, is my prayer and my hope. So, Father, I just pray that you would speak through your servant today. Lord God, thank you for the celebration that we've had. Thank you for the celebration that we're in. And thank you for the celebration that's to come. Lord, we pray that all those that are watching and listening at home, that they too would be blessed, that today you would do a work in all our hearts. Lord, that we would love your son even more than what we currently do, that we would understand him more and grow more and more into his image with ever-increasing glory. But we just give you all the thanks and all the praise. And everybody said, Amen. So we're going to look at David. David's the great-grandson of Ruth. We've been talking about that. But this is how he was anointed. So I'm going to jump straight into 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'm going to read from verse 1. And it reads, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. Really important. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And again, very important, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him because he was the man of God of the day. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely, surely, the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And I just want to pause there for a minute. Surely I'm looking at the Lord's anointed. Surely. In other words, he rolls up to this assignment. He sees Eliab and he thinks to himself, this is going to be such an easy day. This is going to be a simple transaction. God wants, to, wants me to anoint the next king. It's obvious that this is the man for a job. I'll be out of here in no time. In fact, I'll be home before the roast is even done. Right? That's how it's Eliab for sure. But I want you to notice, notice how this man of God, because he was the man of God for the day, how this man of God had a first impression. He had a first impression, and yet I want you to notice how this same man of God can hear a word from the Lord. Because verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, we've got to pause there again almost, right? Because Samuel's saying, Lord, I got this, I want to do this. I know how this works. It's an obvious, it's an obvious choice, it's an obvious way. You know, this is the way I, I run my business. I know what I'm doing. Exactly, I know what to do. I've done this before and it's worked for me before. You know. It's me, me, me. I've got God. I've got this. And yet the Lord interjects and says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab 
and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord's not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, now he's desperate. I'm here to do something for, for God. I thought it was Eliab, I was certain. But God said no, and everyone that's passed by me, God keeps saying no. Now he's, now he's, he's getting desperate. Is there still more? Are there still? Do you have any other sons? And Jesse answers, there is still the youngest. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Now, I don't know who this is for, but imagine that. Waiting. God gives you a word. And waiting until it comes to pass. Because I can tell you, I have conversations with people and I've struggled with it myself. When you know God's given you a word and yet, in the waiting, did I hear from God right? Maybe it wasn't it. Maybe, maybe God's changed his mind on this one. But he says, we're not, we're not even going to sit down, he reckons, until he arrives. So he was committed, fully committed in fulfilling what God had said. Verse 12 reads, so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went to, to Ramah. This is such a famous story that we have to unpack really quickly because there's, there are things that we can actually be encouraged by and learn from because we can see and discover the kind of helper that God uses. Yeah, and The ultimate helper is, is, of course, the Holy Spirit. Even as we dedicated baby Arian today, we prayed that the Holy Spirit would guide him in all his life. Yeah, The ultimate helper is, of course, the Holy Spirit. And we have that helper, that counsellor, the one who draws alongside us, that lives within us. And we've got the helper all the time. Now we know Jesus is our rescuer, that he's our salvation. And God is our father. But isn't it good to know that Father God helps us through his spirit in every situation. But isn't it good to know that he's so gracious that he gives us people. Like he gives us people. The people that are around you are the people that are there to support you. The people that both Prahul and, 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 and Rachel chose this morning, those seven, are there to support them. They're, they're people that God has given them in their life to help them. Yeah, It's so important and so wonderful that God has given us people, those that are sitting around us today. And they're not there to replace God, right? But they're there to help us on the journey of life. Because sometimes, who knows that you need a shoulder to cry on or you need a hand to pick you up. You just need someone to talk to because life isn't always pretty. Whether you're male or female, it really doesn't matter. The Western world will tell a man that he's got to harden up and suck it up and be tough. But the reality is, the more in touch with our emotions and feelings we are, the more real we are to who we are. And God needs and knows that we need people around us to help us on that journey. But the kind of helper that he's choosing and using in this passage, we're about to see. So first, notice that Samuel, he, he, doesn't, 
He doesn't cry about his past, or better words, he doesn't wallow, he doesn't lie in, he doesn't just stay there moping. He doesn't, he doesn't hang out there because this is actually a really, this is a key transition moment for Samuel. Because as you can see, helpers called by God, we, we don't take things so personally. You know, <laughs> he's the man of God and we've got this transition happening where he's about to anoint a king that's going to take his place. Yeah, but he doesn't take it personally. I've been in churches where you ask someone to step aside on a worship team or part of the, part of the youth or in some roles and people take it personally. It's never personal. God just transitions people. There's seasons, yeah? And notice Samuel, Samuel doesn't mope, doesn't, doesn't get offended by this transition happening in his life because helpers called by God don't take it personally. He didn't get upset with God because... God was changing direction, changing the way the nation was going to be led. He didn't get upset. Now, the truth is that we all, from time to time, of course, we get upset. But if we're really a helper of the Lord, if you and I, if we're really servants of the Lord, then we learn to deal with those things much better, much quicker than the average Joe Blow. Is that okay? All right. Sorry, scripture. If you don't like it, rip out the page. Samuel could have easily been permanently upset by some of the insults that were pointed at him. Think about it. When, when Israel first chose a king, they were saying to him, stick it, buddy. We don't want you as our prophet anymore. We want a king like everybody else. Even in Australia, we go to the, we, we go to the elections. When a party loses and a party wins, what's it saying? We want these guys, we don't want you, even if you voted for them, the majority are saying, we don't want you, you pack of losers. So now you've got Samuel, who's transitioning, and a king's coming in place. He knows full well that the people have chosen over and above him, they want something different. And yet, he doesn't, for whatever reason, get, get offended at all. And then, and then, in that pain, <laughs> in that pain, God tells him to keep moving forward. See, God, God uses people, and those that He uses, even in their mourning, He will say, "Hey, keep moving forward. Take the next step. Don't stay where you're at right now." See, this is for someone today. Israel rejected Samuel. And then Samuel actually anoints Saul as king down the track, right? And then the Lord rejects Saul as the king. And all of that's falling apart. The nation, it's not in a good and healthy place. And then God has the audacity to say to Samuel, hey, listen, don't mourn, just keep moving forward. He could have mourned because he was no longer the man. He could have mourned because the plan that the people wanted wasn't working out. And God says to him, listen, don't mourn, just move forward. You've got to keep moving forward. Always. Samuel's position was diminished. He was, he was upstaged by the king, but he keeps more moving forward. He's been grieving. And the Lord says, you can't grieve about that loss any longer. You know, as servants of the Lord, as helpers of the Lord, we have feelings, we have emotions, but we can't be dominated by those things, can we? Not a rhetorical question, but answer it in your heart. 
You know, the Lord says to us, you've got to keep moving forward. Don't spend all your time thinking and sitting in that loss. Don't do it. You know, grieving is good. And, and we, you and I, we, we've got to come alongside those that are grieving. In, in fact, grief sharing is a ministry yeah, for people to be there for others. If you ever ask yourself this question, I don't know what to do. How do I serve the Lord? You want to know how to serve the Lord? Find someone who's grieving and get alongside them and support them. That's ministry right there. The truth is each of us have experienced loss in so many ways and some of us have probably experienced some aspects of loss in our own life even in the last few years. But let me say this, the Lord's word to Samuel in verse 1 is stop mourning, it's time for you to move on. In other words, God is still at work. He's got something more. Don't stay there, there's still more to come. Tomorrow's just around the corner, yeah? And, and what's Samuel's succession plan? This is really simple. His succession plan is simply to trust God. Of course, he wanted it to be nice and easy, and he wanted it to go to the first guy, Eliab. You know, he wanted that. He must be the one, he said. But ultimately, when we read verse 3 and verse 4, Samuel is under the instruction of the Lord. He's still human. He still had a personal preference. Eliab just looks like a king to me. Yet the most important thing is verse 3, because verse 3 reads, Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. I will show you what to do. Let me encourage us all, if you're thinking, yeah, if you're thinking about some kind of change in your life, any kind of change in your life, remember the most important thing is to be shown by the Lord what to do. Not just to do whatever you want. Yeah, just a thought. Verse 3 goes on. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. God was going to indicate it. God is going to show him. God will show us. It may be in the 11th hour, right at the last moment. But if you actually trust him before stepping out, you may find that he will indicate where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do. And so Samuel did what the Lord said. And, and I guess for us that are here, the second thing is we should expect God to raise up a solution because he's God. He can. You know, we don't live in the past. We move forward. But expect in our situation for Father God to raise up a solution. It says in 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. God will supply a way for us. He will supply a way for us. God will make a way for each one of us, even in the hour of our trial. Even at your lowest point, God will make a way, even in the time of temptation. And that was a difficult situation that Samuel found himself in. You know, There needed to be a new king. But it was going to be really hard to make that happen without Saul actually finding out and then killing him. That's not bad, is it? You know, The closest we get to that these days in, in Western culture is you, you hear someone saying, I really love this girl or I really love this guy, I'm going to marry him. But if my dad finds out, he's going to kill me. You know, They're not really going to hear, they're not really going to kill you. But there, you know, let's face it, King Saul would really have killed Samuel. Flat out would have killed him. And we need a king, but the old king's still there. 
and he's going to make things difficult. You know, sometimes you and I, we can get discouraged because we feel like that we're, we're under pressure. We're getting pressure from all fronts and from all accounts. Ever felt like that? Like seriously, ever, ever had a problem? You know, you don't just have one problem, but you have multiple problems. You know, you get a flat tyre and you think, oh, well, it's just a flat tyre, so you take it to be changed. And then they tell you that the steering arm's gone and this cross member's broken and the old steering wheel and later you may as well just ride off the car. Or, you know, you've got kids and one of your kids is rebellious and you think the other kid's really going well, but then you, that you, you just find that they've been, you know, charged by the police because they were speeding on an umpy and something easy. But, you know, one problem after another. You, you, you've got one bill that comes in, you think, great, I can pay that. And you go to the letterbox and there's a pile. And it's just one thing after the other. You get one health diagnosis and they don't just say, oh, you've got a problem with your heart, but you've got a problem with this and you've got a problem with that. But let's just, you know, and it, one thing after the other sometimes life's pressures feel like they come from everywhere not just one thing that you've got to deal with they come from everywhere you know provision hasn't come yet you know you're waiting on a on a job that you've applied for the acceptance letter hasn't come your passport you've got to go overseas but your passport hasn't even arrived you know you've been praying for a wife or a husband and they haven't even turned up magically you know or whatever it might be but you feel like you've got a whole lot of things that are outstanding right now against you i just want to encourage you that God always has a solution in mind. Always. It all goes back to Bethlehem, doesn't it? This is just glorious when you think about it. He's the great-grandson of Ruth. He's there in the fields. And Samuel's there having this procession of brothers. You know, like, It's like a model procession. These guys are handsome. And then along comes the youngest and the shortest. They'd forgotten about the one who really matters. But in that little town of Bethlehem, God was at work. It sounds like a familiar story, doesn't it? Isn't it, Brie, that in that same little town, the Son of God was born according to the Scriptures and just at the right time for the salvation of everyone? So expect God to rise up a solution in your situation. Expect it. Expect it. Is he a good God? So why do we not expect good things from a good God? Life throws us bad things. Life can throw us lemons. But God is always faithful and good and just. Always. You know, God's choice can be very different, though, to worldly choices. Samuel sees Eliab and he immediately thinks he's the one. I mean, this guy, he's strapping. He's tall. He's got muscles. He looks like Pastor Andrew, you know. I knew that would get some reaction. Do you remember previously that Saul was a head taller than all the men of Israel? King Saul was tall. There was something about Saul. He was God's choice. But I want to say there's nothing wrong with being tall. I was going to say there's nothing right with being short, but I can't say that. There's nothing wrong with being tall. You can have a good heart and be tall. But you can have a bad heart and be short. Or you can have it one way, or you can have it the other way around. It really doesn't matter. But there was something about this. The previous guy was a head taller than anyone else. And so here we have, look at Eliab. He's the eldest. He's the first. He carries himself like a king. And even Samuel, the man of God, is temporarily swayed by the flesh. 
Even Samuel, the man of God, for a moment, is tempted to look at the outward impressive appearance. And he thinks, surely God's going to work through this guy, definitely. And yet, in all the Bible stories that we read, God chooses to work through the weak ones, doesn't he? Through those that are dependent, that trust in him. And somehow, Eliab didn't have that attitude. And yet, that was Samuel's first impression. And I'll tell you what, Eliab would have been a terrible king. He would have been a shocker. He would have been another Saul. It was Eliab that even tried to discourage David when he went to battle, you know, before Goliath. It was Eliab that says, hey, why don't you take your lunch and anything you got in your pocket and why don't you go back to dad? It was even then, he would have been a terrible king. So the first part, the first part of verse 7, because I'm jumping to there, is negative and it's about Eliab. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his... That's Iliad. Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. It's pretty negative. So the, the problem with Iliad is not that he was tall. That's not a bad thing. The problem is that his heart isn't right. It's his heart that wasn't right. Because when you keep reading, it says the Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. That means he looks at your heart. And my heart, he knows all our hearts. He knows what's in our hearts. And it's this heart that needs to be right with God. That's the heart that needs to be right with God. You know, David has got great skills, but let's not forget, and we already know that he had a great appearance, but in verse 18, and we're not going to read it, but the second part of the reading that we're not going to, one of the servants said, and it's interesting that a servant actually knew this about the skills of David, it's as if his father and his brothers thought, hey, when this procession of king, you know, king, kings, future kings comes past, we're not even going to bother calling David because he's the youngest. Maybe they're already jealous like Joseph and his brothers. I don't know. But it wasn't one of the brothers or the family members. It was one of the servants that said in verse 18, one of the servants answers, I've seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre or harp He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and he's fine looking. Five compliments are made. And the Lord is with him. So the difference between David and Eliab, we can figure out just from these verses, is the heart of God inside of David. It's his heart. And it's the heart of God that doesn't seem to be in Eliab. And God sees our hearts today. He sees your heart and my heart. That, for me, that, that's comforting. To know that there's the creator of everything that actually knows what's going on inside of here, inside of me. It's an awesome thought that God knows about every heart. Everyone, even those that are listening at home, that are watching, yeah? He knows their hearts. And God's choice is different. So just point to your heart right now. If you're not sure where it is, go to the centre, little to the left. Yeah, right. It's not here. It's not here. It's not there. Center, little to the left. That's your heart. Yeah. What is the heart then? Isn't the heart what pumps blood around my body? Well, yes, it is. But in the Old Testament sense and in the Hebrew sense, it's basically everything you've got. The heart is everything that you've got. It's it's all that you are. It. it 
It includes your thinking, your doing, your rising, your going to sleep. It includes your habits. Because what's in the heart eventually determines the outcome of your life. It's connected to our will. It's connected to our thinking. So how do we engage our hearts? There's a quote by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and it says this, it's often the appeal to the mind that affects the heart, he reckons. So the Lord's looking for heart credentials, holiness credentials, humility credentials, being communion ready, really, all happens in our heart. And for you and I, if we're going to learn anything from this, is don't despise the first assignment. Because verse 14 to 23, that again, I'm not reading the second part of the story. But when someone is promoted to a position, there are, there are two kinds of leaders. Yeah? There are those that quickly settle into entitlements and they do the bare minimum. And there are those that, on the other hand, who lead into service. And instead of minimums, they multiply. We have to make sure that we invest in people that multiply. We invest in multipliers. Because David's first job as a multiplier is to comfort Saul. (laughs) And this is a really strange story. Because he's anointed to be king. He's going to replace Saul. But his first assignment, and by divine arrangement, David's now in a room with Saul. And his first job... (laughs) He's to play the harp and soothe Saul when he's going a little crazy. And he was at that stage getting, you know, Saul was getting pretty deranged and pretty nuts. I mean, he'd walk into a room and he'd want to kill David. I wonder how, how quickly he played the harp. Like how quick did he play it to bring peace, you know? Why didn't David do what his son Absalom did and say, hey, I've been anointed to be king. So why am I just hanging around playing my harp to this angry guy? He doesn't go, I want to be king now. He doesn't sing, I just can't wait to be king. Right? doesn't sing that. Now that melody is in everyone's head, even if I mucked it up. He doesn't say, give me the crown or put a face on the coin. He doesn't claim entitlement. Instead, he served. His first assignment's a humble servant. His first assignment, if you will, he greeted at the door. He swept the tiles. He vacuumed the carpets. Served communion. Did the data. Did the sound. Did the gardening. When there's a first assignment, I believe you can't be a leader unless you first learn to be a follower. And that's all about heart. That's all about attitude. I, I remember many years ago someone that was on a stage that, in a church that sang and was happy to lead singing, but when asked to sing backups, oh, no, I'm not a backup singer. If I was pastor in that day, that would have been the last time they stepped on the stage. Because if, if you can't serve, you can't lead. There's no way. David, David served. And yet he's the greatest king we remember. Yeah? I generally would say to become a leader is to be a humble follower, to complete the, the, the assignment that God gives you and to do it cheerfully and to do it with joy. Not so that men can look and we can get a promotion, but that the Lord sees us and it's a good thing to serve him and to do what the Lord wants us to do, isn't it? 
You know, one of the most content places to be in life is this, that you're not looking for something different to do, you're not looking for something so-called better to do, you're not looking for something more impressive to do, but it's knowing that you're a servant of the Most High and it's being able to do whatever it is that he asks you cheerfully, happily. That's the best place to be. It comes from the heart. This morning, we had a friend of ours um, that came along in his truck, does some farming. He had these two big bins of potatoes. And he's actually this morning, cheerfully, by choice, driving around to the churches to say, I've got 20 bags of potatoes. Would you like them just to give them out to your congregation? So by the way, if you need potatoes, we've got some bags, right? Right? Yeah, just, just see one of us later after the service, yeah? But he's doing that from church to church, cheerfully. That, do you know what? Even if you've got machinery, it's still hard work, yeah? Yet he's cheerfully serving what God's asked him to do. And I guarantee you that's not his first assignment. It comes from the heart. You and I should have a simple understanding that we're here to love and serve the Lord. Now, David understood the assignment. His second assignment was to kill Goliath. And that probably wasn't an easy assignment either, yeah? Because I've been afraid before. I've had people come to the door at the church here, and Jim's not here. But because uh, I've told a story, Jim won't mind. But Jim rolls up, he's got his singlet on, he's got his worker shorts, he's got tats everywhere, gets out of the car, somebody else gets out of the car, they've got, they're like nothing against tattoos for those that are watching at home, though I don't have any. And the other guy's got tattoos up to his neck and his arms, and I'm thinking they're going to rob the place. First impressions, right? First impressions. But the point is that David would have seen Goliath. I don't know if he had fear. I had fear. There was no need to have fear. The second person was bringing the first person to the church because he needed a, a church home. But that's not what my eyes saw, but I wish my heart had spoken first. I wonder what David's second assignment when he saw Goliath. I wonder what he thought, you know. But his first assignment was to be patient and to strum when the king goes crazy. By all means, let's slay the, the giant and David's going to conquer Jerusalem, but that's going to take another 20 years. There's going to be more, for those of us that have been involved, more wilderness. <laughs> but David stayed under the umbrella of his calling. He had one job. He was going to be king. So don't mess it up by trying to grab hold of the kingdom. Just be obedient. And allow the Lord to bring that to you. So David's first congregation was to a demon-possessed, crazy king that was rejected by the Lord. That's not bad as a first congregation. Do you know that it's written, Billy Graham tells a story that his first congregation was a group of alligators where he would go and practice his sermons. True. And then his next congregation, there were just six people. He wasn't after bigger or better or more impressive. He was just doing what God had asked him to do. Amen. How many of us have missed what God wants to do in us and through us because we haven't been patient or obedient? So the alligators weren't good enough. The six weren't big enough. How many of us? The promotion's not where the Lord has us serving. The promotion is what happens in our hearts. 
It's what happens in our hearts. The giant will be defeated. Jerusalem will be conquered. The Psalms will be written. But today's job is just to play some music and soothe the spirit of some crazy guy. You know, sometimes you just have to go and visit someone that's complaining and whinging and whining. Sometimes you just have to go and see them over and over and over and over again. So are you ready for God's assignment in your life? Are you ready for his next assignment? Just do what he's given you to do today. I want to I open the altar, but I really, I, I really don't know where I'm going. I've got a little bit of time. So just go with me here. Samuel can no longer mourn. A new leader has to be chosen. God's choice, not his. And we can't be sidetracked when God chooses something that we wouldn't choose because that, I've been a Christian 33 years. That happens often. Yeah, where God's choice is not the choice I would have made. But we can't let that sidetrack us. Let's just get ready for the next assignment that he has for us. But what does the Lord look at? He looks at the heart. God sees heart in this place and at home today. He sees heart of every person that's in here. You know, think of it like this. How do I, how do I love Melanie with all my heart? I, I probably fail miserably at times, yeah? How do I do that? Well, there's the romantic side which I'm not great at. But in marriage, most of, most of it's like fulfilling a duty, a husband, a provider, protector, a, a champion of her gifts to protect them when God's, you know, when he's nurturing them and growing them. I've got to do those things. And then how else do, do I love it with all my heart, with time and touch and words and gifts and service and, and then love and affection? I mean, the list goes on and it gets really challenging. Encouragement, truth, prayers. The most important one is I'm the provider of humour. She thinks she's funny, but really I'm funnier than her. To love someone with all your heart means, going back to that Old Testament sense and the Hebrew sense, to love someone with all your heart means to give everything you've got. Everything you've got, God looks at your heart. Do you love God with all of your heart? (laughs) Because it's to give everything you've got for all of your life. Not part of it, not some of it, not five minutes. Yes, I can make church this week, but I'm busy next week. This is not criticism. It is commentary. But if God's cutting, God's cutting. I can pray today, but I can't pray tomorrow. I can worship now, but I can't worship then because I'm in the shades. Because to love someone with all your heart means to give everything you've got for all of your life. That's how we love our wives. It's how... We love our husbands, that's how we love our children, that's how we love the church family, with all of our heart, with all of us, with all of our lives. Do you know what? If people actually love people the way that they should, there would never be a church split, ever. And that's what God sees in David. He's going to be someone, not like Saul, who was only worried about himself, 
anyone rose up against Saul, Saul would knock them down. But God loves David that even though he would make these huge mistakes, that would be exceptionally costly for him. That David would just keep turning back to God. When he messed up, he'd confess it. I'm going to ask everyone to stand, please. And Sam, can I just have keys? Is that all right? Uh, uh, guitar. I showed guitar, but I said keys. Next I'll go, can I have the guitar? <laughs> but can I ask you again to close your eyes for a moment? Let's have a moment with the Lord, yeah? God loves David so much that even though there would be some huge mistakes in his journey that would be costly, David could just keep turning back to him. When he messed up, he'd confess it. You know, maybe, just maybe, there are some people here today that are watching, listening at home, that actually need to turn back to God today. That even though you've made some huge mistakes, even though, like David, you may have messed up, maybe it's just time to fess up. See, God is looking for people after his own heart. That's how, <laughs> that's how he found David. Because the promotion for you and I is not where we're serving. That's what's happening in our hearts. So just with every eye closed, if there's areas of your life, my life, if there's areas of our lives that we know that we've messed up, I'm just going to ask you now, in the privacy of your whiteboard imagination as you talk to the Lord, just to hand it over to Him. And it's really simple. Hey God, whatever it is, I give this to you. I felt this way, I reacted this way, I did this, I said that, whatever it is. God, I just give this to you. I messed up big time. I heard your voice and I ignored it. I heard you call and I turned away. I messed up. But Lord, I come back to you because you are all I need. And I won't sit there and I won't mourn in the mistakes of yesterday. I won't wallow and I won't whine and I won't gripe. But God, I hear you and I will move forward and I will take the next step. God, show me what to do. Show me, Lord, what to say. Help me, Lord, to live by your ways. Because to love someone with all your heart means to give everything all you've got for all of your lives this day. And this is not for those that are next to you. It's not for me that's here. But deep down, if your one desire that burns is to love God with all your heart, 
That means all of you, everything that you've got for the rest of your life. If that's you, I want you to tell God. I want you to raise your hand, put it back down, do something that says, God, that's me. That's me. Because I want more of you in my life. I want more of you in my day-to-day. I want more of you in my sleep, in my dreams, in my daydreams. I want more of you. I want you to guide me, to lead me, to strengthen me, to comfort me. I want you. Help me where I am weak, God, that you may be strong. Father, that you might find in me a heart that is sold out like David's. And I promise to be faithful with any assignment that you give me, Lord God. Whether it's emptying bins or preaching to thousands. I will be faithful and I'll give you all my heart. You are our glorious God and this day we celebrate you. This day we champion you. And God, this day we walk away from this place asking that Holy Spirit, you would continue to shape us more and more into the image of your son Jesus. And not only into his image, but with his thoughts, God, that we would walk and talk and sound like him. That people would discover your goodness and your grace through us, I pray. And all these people said, Amen. So have a wonderful Sunday. (laughs) Enjoy your celebrations. Enjoy the Holy Spirit. Enjoy God's conviction as he transforms us into the image of Jesus. Amen. And if you need potatoes, I don't know, maybe see Jen.